You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a monthly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers throughout the entire city of Philadelphia, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's Jumpinar series on Selects Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., held via Zoom webinar or in person at our office. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This episode features a discussion with experts Jeffy Thomas and Mark Wallace from Core Design, which is an architecture and design firm based in New Jersey. We'll be talking about how to determine whether a real estate development project is feasible and the importance of hiring experts to assist you when needed. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. So I'm going to go ahead and get started and introduce uh, the topic tonight. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. This is our Jump in Our series, which we host a couple times a month on either Zoom like this or in person at our office. And uh, we host a variety of guest speakers on specific topics in real estate development that we think uh, deserve a deep dive conversation with. Uh, and and uh, these are things that we might mention or, or briefly go over in our training program, but this is our opportunity to really dig deeper and talk to some experts and, and get their perspective on the topic as well. Um, so tonight we're talking about... I don't think I have the flyer for that. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Uh, tonight, we're talking about project feasibility with Core Designed. And we have Mark Wallace and Jeffrey Th- or Jeffy Thomas here tonight. And uh, we're really excited to have them. I, I spoke with Jeffy and Mark uh, a, a while back, and, and we got this on the schedule and then recently touched base again to, to hash out the specifics of what we think new developers need to know about uh, project feasibility. And, and that's a broad term. So I'm going to let them kind of introduce the, the idea of that and, and give their definition of what makes a project feasible, but we're talking about the due diligence period and that that phase of, of property walkthroughs and construction budgeting and and um, you know trying to to make layout changes and all that 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 phase of the the project um, and and we'll dive further in uh, in a minute. But I just want to give Jeffy and Mark a second here to introduce themselves. And again, I appreciate you being on here and excited to for the conversation. Absolutely, um, welcome everyone. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Derek, for having us. Um, I'll introduce myself. My name is Jeffy Thomas, uh, one of the employees here at uh, Core Design Architecture. Um, I work on the marketing and the project assistant. But uh, just a small little bit about Core. Uh, Core was founded in 2015 by Kevin Kareko, um, and we're based out of Philadelphia and New Jersey. And uh, we're in, we're a firm that's experienced in a wide array of uh, project types. Um, so we, it ranges from residential development from single family to multifamily, mixed use, and even healthcare. We also do commercial. So we have a good amount of experience in a lot of areas. Um, and we also strive to be uh, technology forward. Uh, and I mean that we are looking to use leading technologies in our everyday application to uh, make our processes more efficient and um, better products for our clients. 
Wonderful. Thanks. And I'll I'll ask some more questions about core in a minute, but Mark, if you want to introduce yourself, thanks for being here. Yeah. uh, My name is Mark Wallace. Uh, I'm a senior project architect at core design. Um, I joined the company in 2016, uh, a year after Kevin founded it. Um, Been practicing in the Philly area since 05. (laughs) It's been, uh, you know, we know our way around the city quite a bit. Great. Awesome. So, uh, Jeffy, if you could just tell me a little bit, I, I think the best way to learn about an organization is to talk about the projects they've worked on and, and sort of what what they've achieved in the past. Um, and I know developers or architects love talking about their projects. So, <laughs> yeah, why, why don't you tell us? Tell us They're like, all our babies. <laughs> they are. They are. <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us a little bit about some projects that you, you, you know, enjoyed working on with Core or, um, you know, what you think would give a, a good rundown of, of the sorts of projects you work on for the audience? Sure. Um, so when we first started, uh, some of our projects were doing BIM work, which is building information modeling um, for high-end uh, projects in New York. And what we were doing there was taking the models from these projects and modeling it all. So we're modeling the building, the HVAC, the electrical, and um using our laser scanner also to bring in that kind of information and uh, just making sure that there's no clashes, that everything works so that when they go into the field, they're saving time and money. Um, and those were really cool, right? Cause you're just, you get to go and be like walking into places that I don't know if I'll ever set foot into again. Um, <laughs> and then um uh, my on my end, uh, I work on a lot of the healthcare side of projects at Core. So we've done projects ranging from outpatient uh, offices uh, like ENT and GI offices for, to a um, I what was it an MRI CAT scan room and Linac yeah linear accelerator. So just like crazy crazy projects that have like tolerances and things that we have to worry about that are very, very small. I think yeah. uh, I was just talking with Mark before we got on this. And I was like, what were the tolerances for that project in New York? And he was just like, I think it was 16th of an inch. So <laughs> we are talking about <laughs> using the laser scanner technology there for like, just making sure that, you know, this is sure. exactly where it is. But sure. Yeah. And, and, and definitely you can tell from, you know, your website and, and the project you completed, that's a, a focus in healthcare. What about uh, re- like residential rehabs, any new construction, like residential or, or um, yeah. anything? I'll commercial? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll let um, Mark take that one. Yeah, I mean, we're currently working on um, a suburban development that is uh, 88 residences. Um, we've where we have um, in the Parkside area of the city, we have a hundred unit building going up. And then we have a bunch of single families in Kensington and Fishtown. So it just, it really runs the gamut. Um, you know, we do a little bit of everything. Awesome. So um, what what would you say, like your current focus right now in, in, you know, either this market or with projects that you've had on, on the line, what what kind of is your direction that, that CORE is going right now? Are you focusing on one specific type of project or um, are you still kind of just have that wide range of some single families, some larger multifamilies and and then healthcare projects in between? What, what's your, uh, your, your outlook there? Yeah, I, th- I think the bulk of our projects, I would say our average project is probably about a 20 unit um, building that has a vacant commercial element to it um, is it would say is the most generic thing that we work on is that's um, but yeah, we, um, we focus, we also tend to grow with our developers too. a lot of the developers that, 
we were doing a house here and there with are doing now multifamily stuff. So that's always really interesting to see, to, to see not just, um, you know, new, newer clients come through, but then see clients level up. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about in the jumpstart training, you know, make that connection with, with the good contractor, or the good architect you really like, and then they're going to take you, you know, to the next project and, and you'll take them where you go. So it's a nice, you know, um, symbiotic relationship. So that's great. And that's, and that's something that we try to focus on is like building a relationship with our client and like growing with them too ourselves, you know, not, they're not so, the only ones growing. Right. So specifically, like what services do you provide for the developer? Is it just architecture services? Is it just that, you know, laser scanning due diligence period? What What is kind of your, when, when you come to a client, what do you propose to them that you're going to help them out with on the project? Yeah. So I would say most projects start with um, a client comes to us with a lot or something and they want to see what they can put on it. So we'll do, um, if it's something that's relatively simple that can be calculated just by the zoning code with the square footages, um, it, we can just tell them pretty quickly if it's something more complicated. Uh, we'll give a, um, a proposal to do just a feasibility. So just stacking blocks together to see how units would stack um, and then kind of go from there. Um, so a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of initial feasibility um, uh, studies. Cool. And then are you kind of working with developers all the way through the construction phase to the end yeah. of finishing? And, and, and then once the product's complete, you know, that that's where you take, take a step out. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we go um, as much as the client is willing to pay for. It, you know, it's um, yeah. there. There's kind of like the three part relationship between the contractor, the client, and us. A lot of times, our clients are the builders too. So um, in those cases, a lot of times when the, they pull the permit, they might have a handful of questions throughout the construction process. But for the most part, we hand it off at permit. Then there's clients who do have that more traditional relationship where. We're a little bit more involved with CA. We have we have meetings um, or we have projects where we'll have a meeting once a week throughout construction. We'll have ones that, oh, you're done. I didn't even know you broke ground. You know, so it's it uh, it varies based on the client. Like we will provide as much as a client needs or wants, or if they want to do it themselves, we can hand it off as well. Cool. All right. So let's uh, let's dive into the the topic for tonight, and that is project feasibility. And when when that term pops into my head, I think about a lot of different kind of categories that I could look at at feasibility for. So I think like, is this financially feasible, right? Like, do we have enough money to get this done? Or is it going to be too expensive? And, and you know, not possible or uh, quality, like quality feasibility, like, are, are we going to be able to make this look good? Right? Is mm-hmm. this or, um, you know, uh, time feasibility. So is this going to be able to be done within a, a, you know, a time frame that is acceptable to my lender or the market or whatever? So what is um, what is Core Design's outlook on on feasibility? And and you guys had mentioned a Venn diagram that that you sort yeah. of that helps you look at projects feasibility. So could you explain that to us and, and kind of give yeah, your... Yeah, I mean, you, you touched on all three bases of that. So essentially, if you think about it as like a three-part Venn diagram where you have time money and quality um every single project falls somewhere on that um and it just depends on the project like sometimes an opportunity comes up and you have to move quick so maybe you have to spend a little bit more to get to your finish line or um vice versa maybe something fell in your lap but you can sit on it a little bit so you can take the time to do it right um you have to kind of decide for yourself as you're going through a project like what um what do you really need to get out of it at that point? Um, and we can assist with any of that. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I guess in respect to to each specific area of that, like 
quality feasibility like how what sorts of things do you do to make sure that um or, or what sorts of things do you recommend a developer do to to analyze whether the quality is going to be you know sufficient enough to to make a profit you know right so we can um i i mean as far as the the market and like the after repair value and stuff we we shy away from that we're going to let let the the developers run their numbers on that because to be honest a lot of them are very different um, and have different um, outlooks. But as far as taking the project through, we define our timeline. And then on every job, we have this master checklist of everything you need to do to get your permit. And we'll check off what we provide and what needs to be provided that we don't. So that way, if you need to make a connection, he's like, oh, you need to get a special inspector. You need to get a geotech engineer. You need to get civil on board. Um, and we can point you in the way that... Um, to to the parties that you might need we're not going to say use this engineer we have a bunch that we work with and we play nice with everybody but um we'll give you some names of people that can handle the things you need so you'll know from jump all of the stuff that you need to do um and what you can expect from us great Great. And before we move on, I just want to remind everybody that we do have a, a Q&A that we're going to have at the end of our conversation here. So be sure to submit any questions you have using the, the Q&A function on Zoom, and we'll uh, we'll get to them around 7.45 once we wrap up with the, the content here. Um, sorry, Mark. Back to our, our, uh, our conversation about, uh, I, I want to talk about uh, financial feasibility now. So are you helping developers kind of budget at all? Or are you providing like estimated cost ranges or, um, you know, what, what is your role in the financial analysis? Um, for the most part, it's the soft cost stuff. Um, as far as the hard stuff goes, we, we don't really get into that as much. Um, we can help forecasting the timeline, um, which, uh, you know, always affects the budget. Gotcha. So, so you're, you're kind of use, like your references for how your you know people you've worked with have, have how long they take to complete stuff and you kind of like re recommend that you know to your clients timelines yeah yeah and how long it takes to get to the city because honestly that is like oddly enough the biggest holdup for us you know yeah. you would think the hardest part is building it i think the hardest part is getting through the city <laughs> yeah you know yeah. and, and um, i think I think that's definitely a valuable um, thing to provide for people is, you know, not like a list of referrals or, or you know, strict recommendations of this is who we want you to use, but just like, to, you know, pl places for people to touch base and kind of give them mm -hmm. a reference for what's out there and available. I mean, we do the same thing at Jumpstart. Our, our number one question is, you know, uh, do you have a list of contractors we can call? And we're like, you know, we... we we, there's a lot of contractors who work with Jumpstart, but it's really hard to, you know, maintain a, a, a list of that, you know? Right. Uh, so, okay, let's uh, now move on. And I want to talk about sort of when the need for um, a design expert or architectural expert like yourselves uh, is triggered at a project. So you mentioned that you work on single family row homes up mm -hmm. to, to um, you know, large multifamily or commercial developments, but within any type of project, there's a scope. So it could be cosmetic rehab or a full gut rehab or somewhere in the middle with a moderate rehab. Um, you know, what sorts of projects do you typically think will, you know, need an expert involved and what, uh, what sorts of triggers, you know, can take place uh, on that project that, that should alert people of it? Yeah. I mean, I think any, I mean, I think all projects can be um, improved by having a design professional take a look at it um, up front. but um, gone are the days of the easy permit. So, um, you know, even a single family, if you're moving around walls, um, you need to provide a floor plan to the city. So you'll need to have someone survey your existing conditions and draw it up. Um, you used to be able to, in a single family, you know, when you were just doing it, you could have 
you 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 could just file the just the paper permit and now the city wants c4 plans for everything mm-hmm. so um honestly any sort of anything more than like replacing floors and painting walls um you're gonna need um you're gonna need architectural services of some sort yeah and i hear you bringing up the the permitting process a lot and i think that's super important to highlight on people should reach out for help on that process if they don't know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, permits are an extremely important part of the process, especially for for new developers to kind of understand what, what it's like um, and to be involved in it. So, it, it, you know, I think that's great that you guys kind of offer that, like you said, a list of what we do and, and what, you know, you're going to need to do to get this completed. That That's important, I think. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, you're saying I hear easy permits are, are you know, less and less frequent than I think I, I saw them even a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, well, I think now if you don't, if you're not going to occupy the home, um, I think you need the floor plan. If you're going to occupy it, I think you still can pull the paper permit. So if you're doing like some sort of house hack or something to jumpstart your, um, um, development, which is always a great way to get started, but, um, you can get away with that. I think on that, but once you're developing something in an LLC for, you know, um, uh, you know, for commercial purposes, I guess, if you're going to either sell it or rent it. Um, that's when you need to have someone drop your plan. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Jeffy Thomas and Mark Wallace from Core Design. We're talking about project feasibility for real estate development projects and the various services that architecture and design professionals can provide new developers. Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. Gotcha. So um, on the topic of the city, why don't we talk about some, uh, you know, specific like zoning and permitting or, or more so, I guess, uh, license or not licensing, but code requirements that that people can expect to to encounter. Um, yeah, I have a couple topics here I just want to move through and maybe if you can give me your, your fast facts or what people should know about it. Um, I, the, the number one topic that I believe we'll probably get some questions about is zoning. Um, mm-hmm. So that is a, a huge issue for, for jump starters, especially, you know, when they're trying to do multifamily conversions or mm-hmm. you know, make a duplex out of a, a, you know, RM1 zoned single family home or, you know, some, some misalignment like that, that they need to take care of. What do you think people should know about that process? And, and, you know, if they do encounter it, you know, what, what, how, how can they be realistic about that time, money and, and quality situation? Yeah, I think the um, the first step always, once you have a project that you've identified as something you want to look at, if it's in the Philadelphia area or the, the Philadelphia border, you want to go to Atlas, Philadelphia's Atlas um, uh, website. That is a map of the city and you can find out the um, the owner, the existing owner information, and then the zoning information is all right there. So uh, I, I know the majority of your clients are doing role. Oh, thank you. I see shared it. Great. Um, the... Um, the majority of your clients are doing like a row home ish style lot, whether it's a multifamily or um, the first thing you look for um, is anything that is RS something is going to be residential, single family. Anything that is zoned RM is multi. So right there, just looking at it before you do any of the calculations or digging into the zoning code, you know whether you can put multiple units on it or it's only one. That is like the first thing that I think you would want to identify in the zoning. And and if I could just ask a, a clarification, like I think people might be familiar with a zoning attorney, and and you know mm-hmm. people recommend you know that when you're dealing with zoning issues. What how do your services in the zoning department differ than what a zoning attorney would do? 
Yeah. So, so um, you need the zoning attorney when you're doing something that doesn't meet the zoning code. So that's something, if we're doing something what is considered by right, that is something that can be developed on that land per the city's rules. So um, if you're doing that, you don't necessarily need a zoning attorney. Um, but anytime you want to do something differently than what the city um, uh, prescribes, uh, you need to obtain a variance and you will absolutely need to hire a zoning attorney to do that. Again, unless it is your home, you can do it. You can represent yourself if it is a um, uh, a single family that you are living in. But anything that is multi or um, you're developing to sell or rent, you will need to bring an attorney to the uh, the hearing to represent yourself. Right. Now for buy right projects, I think there's sometimes a misconception that because it's zoned, you know, RM1, but it's set up as a single family, like I'm good to go. I don't need to do anything, but there's still a, a process for use changed, right? Buy right. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, what you're saying, if it's set up for single family and it's zoned single family, you should be or, fine to just use. I mean, if you're, if it's zoned RM1, right, but mm-hmm. it's set up as a single family and you want to rehab it and rent it as a duplex, um, mm-hmm. By right doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything, right? There's still a... a, Correct, Correct. yeah. You need to file for both the zoning, which is um, use and um, we say envelope control, right? Like, so how tall your building is, how wide your building is, like the dimensional stuff. Um, And then use, right? So that is whether it's a single, a multi, a a duplex, a triplex, or whether it's even, you know, there's small like commercial lots too. So whether you think of like maybe the row homes along Gerard Ave, you know, that have like a commercial first floor and like an apartment or two above, um, or typically like a CMX2 kind of thing, a, a commercial mixed use. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and, and I think just by kind of explaining through these issues, people understand why an expert is needed because it can, it can, it can it's get- a lot. It is. It is. And, and, it can, and it's zoning gets targets in- too, which is also kind of frustrating. Like the city, once council passes a law, it goes into the code like right away, right. maybe before anything is updated. So right. you could, you could file for something that you think is by right, something changed. Um, they are constantly moving the goalposts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just also want to add that the zoning also takes into consideration like the streets too, right? Like, so the street furniture and stuff that was just added to that on. So just keep in mind because that mm-hmm. trees, bike racks. Yeah. Things like yeah. that. Certainly. Yeah. Um, okay. So moving on my next uh, topic uh, I want to get your take on is livable spaces. So I know mm-hmm. a lot of starters are you know they might be finishing a basement adding a bedroom and a bathroom and you know want to get that extra square footage on their listing or on the you know the city's assessed uh improvement area or i don't know the specifics but what what do you think folks should know about livable spaces in terms of their rehab and and adding and subtracting those areas yeah so i mean as far as your listing goes that square footage is never really going to show up so like on the listing you're not going to recoup that but you're going to have an extra bedroom or two or whatnot if you finish out that space so um, any bedroom that you place in um, in the cellar will, will require an egress well, which is something that's a minimum of three by three in either the sidewalk or your rear yard so that you can walk out and up out of. Um, the other thing that's important is if you are discharging from a bedroom into your rear yard, single or multi now, um, it needs to be attached to an alley, which a lot of the row homes do have like that 30 inch wide, like, strip that runs between the row homes but a lot don't um and the city won't let you put a bedroom even above ground facing uh your rear yard at that point so that's why you have to get maybe a little bit creative in your you know if you have a smaller home and you call it an office or a den and then you just gotta be careful about how you market it and how your tenants use it Mm -hmm. and i've heard um you know 
maybe you don't know the specific about this offhand, but I've heard like bedrooms that have a, a or if there's a bathroom that's like inaccessible without going through a bedroom that could disqualify it from being counted as a bedroom. Do you know anything about like layout decisions like that or or that would, you know, screw up like how many bedrooms the, the city would or, or, you know, any government organization would consider for, for that property? I would say if it's only one bathroom and you have to go through a bedroom to, to get it, that it would be an issue outside of that. Um, Okay. Nothing in the building code, I think, would really um, crack down on that. Okay. Uh, how about ceiling height? So, um, you know, w- w- is there any situation where the ceiling height could be too high or too low? And, and how do you kind of like navigate those issues? Right. Well, it's never too high. I do know a lot of times in, um, you know, you can have a double height space. You can have, you know, as much as, as much as you, um, as far as if you have an existing is at least six eight you can finish it uh, which unfortunately is like right around the line where a lot of the um sellers are in um Philadelphia. so then you have to make the decision is it worth underpinning to extend your uh, down which is essentially building you you dig little holes around your perimeter of your building and put little piers in and then keep on doing that you know, and, until you fill a extend your building's footprint down um, deeper, which is what we see a lot of our clients do do to get that uh, um, bedroom or two in a basement. Sometimes it's easier than going up, um, depending on what your zoning is. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some um, cases where if you're on a smaller block and it's all two-story homes, to go up to that third story, you have to set back your um, front facade eight feet. Well, if you do that in some of these smaller row homes, you're left with not really a usable space up there. Um, so that can be kind of tricky. Great. And, uh, moving on staircases, you know, relocating or adding or removing a staircase, uh, is there like code requirements that, that are, you know, are, are there specific permits that you need to obtain for that sort of stuff or, you know, how does that impact your project's feasibility? So it's the same, it's the same permit, but I, I think honestly, if you're walking a row home lot, um, or an existing row home structure, vertical circulation is the first thing you need to pay attention to. Um, is the one that's there viable? Do you want to keep it? Because a lot of these row homes, um, especially the narrower ones, have like a 28 to 30 inch wide stair. Um, you know, they go up and then they wrap around in the hallway. They have like two more steps to get up. And it, it is also then like a 30 or 28 inch wide hallway. So you're talking about a space that's like five feet wide. If you decide to remove that, you have to put in what is a code compliant stair and hallway. So then you'll have a three foot wide stair with your railings and your hand uh, uh and then you'll have a three foot wide hallway. So you might go from something that's like four, eight, five-ish feet to something that is like six and a half, seven feet. And in a lot that's 13, 14 feet wide, you're left with a space that you might not be able to use. So you have to be pretty creative about um, the vertical circulation. I would say if you are, if it's within a single family, I would most definitely try to keep the existing stairs. You can repair them and or replace them in kind to what they are. Um, but once you decide to, to change that design, you got to put in the full code compliant, um, the stairs, if you're in the multifamily and that's how people are moving in and out, you might want to do it. Um, it really is project specific, but always you have to keep in mind the pace, your vertical or any of your circulation is taking up, um, is more leasable square footage, right? So if you you can walk into some of these homes and they can be they can feel very not necessarily spacious but very functional 
Um, and then sometimes you can walk into like larger things that are laid out poorly and they're not functional at all. <laughs> so it's really tricky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's one thing to look look at it on paper and say, oh, that's great. There's extra rentable space. And then when you're standing in there in the space, you're like, this isn't great at all. Mm-hmm. Or um, your doors are all opening into a space. Yeah. And you can't furnish a room. Right. Right. Um, okay. So next, I and you, during our prep call, you had mentioned this term and I, I was unfamiliar with it, but light and air requirements. Um, yeah. you know, and, and obviously light, sunshine and, and air. Mm-hmm. You know, Wind. <laughs> what does that? Uh, you know, what are the requirements that the uh, the city you know will, will expect of a project? Yeah. So essentially, every bedroom needs to have an egress window, which is more even than the requirements for light and air. Um, and you need to also make sure again, if it's facing your rear yard, that you can get out to your right of way, um, which is this uh, is is out to a street essentially. If, if right. people don't don't know what that means. Um, and so that's why a lot of a lot of row homes are laid out in kind of an L-shaped floor plan where you have like the big bedroom up front, a tiny bedroom in the side, and then it kind of jogs in. So that tiny bedroom can have that rear facing window to get that light and air in um, where when you're building a lot of the newer ones to maximize your footprint a lot, you're, they, they build a lot more um, square shaped homes. And then you end up either having to cut that room in half in the back, which can be really tough. <laughs> um depending on the width of your width of your lot. Right. Right. Okay, great. Well, uh, you, you definitely covered a lot of information there. And, and I think those are just little snapshots about what, you know, a design expert you know, takes into account when they're helping you with a project. Um, and, and, you know, th- thanks for highlighting all that for me. Um, the, the next thing I want to ask is about the property walkthrough phase. So, um, you know, a lot of new developers might be looking at like several projects at once and, you know, going out and, and doing walkthroughs with contractors or realtors um, and, and, you know, really from the inexperienced perspective might not really know what they're looking for. And uh, yeah. that can be an intimidating thing, I think, for for a lot of people. And, and I want to get your perspective from somebody who's who's lives and breathes kind of analyzing the feasibility of these projects on a daily basis. How would you recommend that a, a jump starter or a new developer prepares for these property walkthroughs and how can they make it, you know, as effective as it should be um, and, and not something that they're intimidated by or, or you know, um, nervous about the results of? Um, I mean, I think the first thing is walk through as many as you can, even if it's not a deal. If there's an open house in your neighborhood, just go see what people are doing to kind of familiar because it is true. Once you get into, again, it, like the specific like row home ish kind of development, there's only so much you can do in 16 feet. A lot yeah. of these layouts are very, very similar. So you can see what works and what doesn't. Then as far as who you can bring can get a little bit tricky. Would it be great to bring a contractor with you every time? Yeah. But if you keep on taking your contractor through and these things don't turn into jobs, mm-hmm. they're not going to walk through it with you sure. unless you offer to pay them to do it. Maybe you can say like, hey, if you want to do this walkthrough with me, I'm really interested in this project and maybe negotiate a fee with them just to do the walkthrough. But if you if you keep on, um, if, if you... Um, I don't want to say waste time. It's not a waste of time, but if you if you're not as cautious about your contractor's time, um, it could be problematic. Right. Um, I, I I as 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 a developer myself, when you walk into places, think of what is big picture problems. Are there structural problems? Is it just like a couple floor joists? Maybe that's something that could be fixed. Is a wall falling forward? Maybe that's something that you you don't necessarily want to get into. Um, Unless you unless you have experience with those kind of things, um, I would say when you get into places and they smell bad, you should smell money because that's something that no one's going to want to 
people want more finished homes to sell. You should, you can, you can get in there and bleach the place and clean and, and put a new coat of paint on a new floor down. You can get through that really quickly. Great. Yeah. I think those are all great tips. And I, I really, uh, you know, want to double down on what you said about the more you go through, the more you'll, you'll know. I mean, um, and the, the more you'll see how, like you said, little there is to do within a row home. It's like, there's, there's a reason why, you know, four out of every five row homes you walk through have the same bedroom, you know, and, and bathroom. <laughs> out on the same block. So yeah, I, I think those are great tips and, and hopefully people find those helpful. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, and I, I, I totally understand your point about not bringing the contractor along uh, unless, or, or sorry, not, not bringing them along, but, but not bringing them along unless you're going to be able to follow through and, and, you know, make use of their time. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anybody else you'd recommend kind of, you know, engaging at that property walkthrough phase? Like, is that something you do with developers or would you recommend that, that people limit the, the amount of parties they're bringing into that? Um, I mean, it really varies project by project. I think, um, I think exposing yourself to as much as you can, honestly, a lot of them, you know, with, with listings and photos, you can send listings to a contractor to look at or whatnot. And you're not going to get like the exact price, but maybe you can get the idea of what you see sure. done. Um, and, and we can, oh, I'm, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes even before a walkthrough, we'll get an address and like, uh, we'll like look at a project for a client and yeah. be able to advise them what they can put there and they can take that information and go compare yeah. it with what they see on site. Yeah. Yeah. If they want to run something by us before they get out there, that's great too. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure it's, it's never harmed to just kind of run something by you. So it's on your radar. So, you know, you've done a little bit of even pre-due diligence before you get involved. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, okay. So last question I have here, or one of the last I have, and, and let me remind uh, everybody that we do have a Q&A and I see we've gotten a couple of them stacking up there. So thanks everybody for submitting your questions and uh, you can do so by using the Zoom uh, Q&A tab on your toolbar there. Um, but uh, so my next question is about uh, the checklist for completing, or, or sorry, checklist for determining whether a project is feasible or not. Uh, what would you guys say is the point at which a developer should know? Okay, I've, I'm, I feel confident about all the the due diligence I've completed. I, I've spoken with experts. Um, you know, this is feasible. Should you just be waiting for somebody to tell you it's feasible, or should you, uh, you know, set up some some thresholds for yourself? Or, or what what would you recommend as a checklist for for new developers? you know, who might not know the full process, but want to make sure they're, they're calling it quits at the right point. Um, I think this goes back to when we talk about like walking through as many homes as you can. Um, I think running the numbers on everything is so be, till it becomes muscle memory, right? So you want to try to get a handle on your after repair value, you know, what's being leased in the area. There are different tools. Like I know, I don't know if you guys, um, like the bigger pocket people, like they have checklists and calculators and stuff. And there's out, you can, if you Google them, you can find them, but uh, um, it needs to be a muscle memory thing, right? So that you get to the point where you, you get familiar with the, the city, you get familiar with specific neighborhoods and you know what you think you can get for rent on, right? You can check rentometer, you can check Craigslist for like what things are listed for, what things are going for. Um, and when you get kind of a handle on that, and again, it's just doing it over and over and over and there's no easy way to do it. You just got to do it. So something that like might take you like a half hour the first time to run all your numbers. If you just keep on doing it, you're going to be able to just look at something and be like, that's right. That this one, this one's a home run. This one's not, you know, like. Excellent. Yeah. I think that's great advice. 
Um, so the, the last topic I want to talk about here before we, we move into the Q&A is uh, you mentioned it earlier, Jeffy, the technologies that are available for, for developers. So it definitely seems like core design takes full advantage of those those technologies. And uh, laser scanning is something I, I think is interesting to, to share with Jumpstarters as, as yeah, I've never seen it happen, but I'm super intrigued. Yeah. And I, I was impressed. My, my coworker a couple of weeks ago showed me their laser, their measure, like just a, a simple like point. And oh, the tape laser. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, was like, I was like, that's so, crazy. <laughs> so, so like, imagine that, but multiplied by millions, right? right. Like, yeah. So, like, laser scanning used for architecture. Uh, think like Mission Impossible movies, you know, and they're just like put the thing in the room and it's like, and now they have an image of a room that they're rotating around. Essentially, that's what laser scanning is. It's cool. a non-contact technology that captures 3D uh, data of your existing environment of the building that you, or for our, in our case, the, the existing building, right? Or the space. Um, how does it work? It works by emitting laser beams that are uh, bounce off of a surface and come back and are compiled uh, to create what's called a point cloud. Um, a point cloud, the best way that I have been able to explain it to someone is a, uh, if you know what pointillism paintings are, and it's like little images created by tiny dots. It is that, but on a three-dimensional scale. Cool. And um, then, uh, and you're using that to make drawings, take measurements, yeah. kind of you digital. So every survey that we do, we do the laser scanner. Up. Yeah. So it, it went from this like high-end project that we used it for tolerances. And now we've realized the, the positive of it, right? So the positive being that back in the day, <laughs> uh, we would send two, three people to a large property to do a, a do a hand survey using pull tape or the little laser tape, and you know it would take us a day or two, maybe more. And you're sending two or two people um, with this laser scanning technology. We're able to be so much more efficient and precise uh, in one shot, where yeah. you send one person and it takes them a day, maybe a, maybe very rarely more. Um, going back to what, that cuts down on our surveying fee because we, the, yeah, it cuts down on the surveying fee. It also is, um, what would happen. I think Mark and I were talking about this on our call with you before it, where you, we, you know, you, we reduce human error too, because when we're going through hand drawing this, you might forget to write down a measurement or whatever. And this gives us a picture of the building always. So whatever it sees, it records. So we, can't really miss something unless we just didn't scan it. Yeah. Um, That's interesting to hear. Like you, you kind of discovered it on a higher level, probably one of your healthcare projects, I'm sure, but, and then realized its applicability to a, a, a row home or, or any sort of development that's, uh, you know, being completed at any level. So I, I think that's awesome. And that's something that, you know, you'll, you'll complete at, at what phase, I guess, um, after people hire you and get you involved or do you, you do that before or after? Yeah, no, we would be under contract to, cool. to, to document the existing conditions. Cool. Uh, and the one other thing we're going to too is what you catch. Sorry, you want to uh, about what you what you catch. I was just going to say, and sometimes people just hire us to get that phase started, right in the yeah. due diligence period of like, right. hey, can you scan this and get us something? Right. To so work similar, on. similar to just asking an architect to draw up designs or, or plans or something, right? It's just mm-hmm. like you know part of that. Yeah, that's that's cool. But uh, I think what Mark was going to touch on too was, uh, you know, we were talking about like the width of stairs or if something is. 
the walls collapsing. And sometimes that stuff is happening and you don't see it. It's very not noticeable to your, your, your eyes or when you're walking. Um, we were working on a project recently and I took the point cloud and just was like cutting a section through it and noticed that the building was smiling. And that was something <laughs> that as the whole time I was there for a whole day, didn't like, didn't really notice right. it as bad. Um, so yeah. we're able to using a laser scanner, provide that information to our client too, saying like, Hey, something's off here. We're reframing this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I think the earlier that you can catch issues that like that, the better, I mean, um, preventative action and especially with budgeting, you know, if you, if you know that you're going to have that $10,000, you know, brick pointing as earlier it, rather than like before you've, you know, requested your last draw from your lender, like you can save yourself from, from some, some bad situations. So I think mm-hmm. that's cool. That's great. And even um, on historic projects too, we're able to like, uh, we had a project where we needed to like document the facade and we we're able to like provide that at a higher level because of the just kidding. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Great. Well, um, that is all of my questions. And I think uh, this is a good point to move into the Q&A. Any uh, closing remarks or anything you want to add before we jump into the, the questions? Thanks for that that great conversation. Yeah, I no just problem. wanted to thank you for inviting us here. I, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that, um, you know, what we're providing is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, definitely, and I think any sort of, you know, expert or, or person in any field of the industry that, that we can get in front of Jumpstarters is hugely beneficial. Um, we'll, we'll definitely, if it's all right with you guys, send out your contact info tomorrow and, and let people know how they can get in touch and, and follow up with any questions or, you know, if they want to connect and, and hire you for a project, they can certainly do that. Absolutely. Yeah, feel definitely feel free, you know, if you do have questions to send it our way. Wonderful. All right. Speaking of questions, let's uh, let's jump into these that were submitted so far. Um, and just a reminder, folks, you can u- use your Q and A tab on the toolbar at the bottom of Zoom, um, and we'll we'll get to them as they come in here. But the first one I want to ask you guys is from Enna or Ina, and they said, "How should one go about choosing a good architecture firm?" So, other than just saying hire me, <laughs> um, how would you recommend that people vet their their design architecture expert, or um, you know, where should they begin that search? Should they? I'm sure it's the same as other contractors, but you know, from from somebody who's doing it, what, what do you think people should look for? Um, I think always the best the, the best thing is word of mouth. So if you're going to meetups, if you're 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 speaking with people from Jumpstart, if you're doing, uh, it, it's all about we talked about building your team, right? Like that's one of the biggest things in real estate development. Um, and then that way you tell everyone what you do, right, is the biggest thing, because you don't know who might have a lot that maybe you could pick up, or you don't know someone who's worked with an architect that might be terrible, or might be great, you know, it's the same thing with every, um, every sort of consultant. Um, It is tough online, you look at um, websites, I mean, most of the websites look great, so it's hard to, (laughs) um, I, I don't know. I would say in the world of social media, there's that too, right, like, everyone's playing the game on, on Instagram and other platforms, like, looking at who other developers are using or whatever that like that goes back to word of mouth it's just like a different like, yeah yeah uh, no, but I, I think you guys are right and it, it's on that social media point like i think it's equally you know you need to be cautious of the deception that can be done on there but it's also a really great way to to find good people and and you know if you can filter that out in your brain say this person's bsing this person looks like they're doing good work and seems genuine um it can be useful yeah mm-hmm. Um, okay, next question here comes from Melissa, and she says, how much do you start charge for a basic floor plan for a typical 1,100 square foot property? So for those row homes, what is your estimate? I know, I know it's project by project and probably hard to give an estimate, but um, for your standard row home uh, floor plan design, what would you guys uh, be looking at cost-wise for people's estimates? 
I mean, that's really difficult. I think we need to see, we need to see the address. We need to see where it is. We need to see it. Like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Understood. I would love to be able to say like, you know, like come in and like pick off the menu, but it's not exactly how it works. No, no. Um, Understood. Sorry. Uh, it's okay. The next question also <laughs> from Melissa, she says, do you help with decision-making when it comes to additions and what would work for the property? So uh, we, we kind of discussed a little bit of that earlier with, um, you know, uh, third story additions or, or back rear addiction additions. Um, if you could just kind of reiterate some of that info or, or how could you help people with their, their decision to, you know, should I add that third floor or should I add that rear extension? Yeah, absolutely. We can take a look at any, um, any, any space and we can say like, what this really needs is this, what can you do by right? You know, is this worth pursuing a variance to get this one thing? Um, again, project specific, but yeah, we, we, we do provide that advice on whether, um, whether it's worth going for. Um, and it's tough too. Like, you know, it's, um, you want it always to be by the numbers, but some of the stuff's emotional too. So it's, um, you know, if you really, really want something like what do you, you know, it goes back to our Venn diagram from the beginning. Like, what are you willing to pay for it? You know, like if you really want it this way, it might cost you more or it might take longer. Um, this might be the easiest way to get in. We run into a lot of um, projects. Once you get to a fourth story in multifamily residential, you need to provide two stair towers. So sometimes our clients are trying to max out these four-story buildings with two stair towers and elevator. And like, when I want to take a step back, it's like, hey guys, if you do like a couple less units, do one stair tower and do a three-story building, your ROI might work out better. Just run the numbers that way so we can point you in that direction. You know, we're not going to do the exact calculation, but I, we've definitely run into that before. We permitted um, recently a, we got a variance to do this five-story project and it's, it's, it's a really narrow corner lot. So we're able to pull it off, but like, it's really, it, it, it's really going to be a tough build where if they paired back their stove, did a three story, they could have one stair tower. Now you're asked, you're maybe adding 350 square foot at each floor too. So um, it's tough. Yeah, you're, you're, again, kinda, you're looking at the bigger picture for people and kind of like giving them the alternative option of like, yeah, you could do this suggestion. And I, I think that's, helpful it's like nobody is going to be able to like make a snap judgment about that decision so it helps to to consider all the alternatives and you know have somebody like you on their team to do it yeah yeah we do that a lot in the feasibility phase too where it's like hey run this like this hey run this like this this is mm -hmm. what it ends up looking like and sometimes we even surprise ourselves once you start drawing it out things kind of click together sometimes and sometimes they don't where you're like i thought this would have worked once i put it on paper it really really doesn't you know or vice versa like i didn't think this was going to work but this is great yeah, right. And uh, somebody else has a question here about rooftop decks. And are there any specific zoning requirements, if any, um, you know, that that allow that on, on top of a third story addition or anything? Um, I know you mentioned a setback, right? Is that also? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so there's actually there's a lot of zoning that dictates yeah. that. In most residential districts, you can do roof decks um, by right. There are some overlays that um, like specifically the Strawberry Mansion one is not allowing any more roof decks in the strawberry mansion overlay. Um, but essentially your roof deck has to be at least five foot back from the front right of way. Your pilot house, which is the axis structure. If it sticks up, there are ones that are wells essentially that come down. We typically try to almost always do pilot houses. We don't want to like build a bathtub in our building anywhere. You know, um, it has to be at least five foot from your rear property line or your rear building, not property line. And then it has to be at least 10 feet from the front. 
the the that's the, the hut structure that houses your stairs. Um, nothing else can go in your pilot house but the stairs and the landing. Um, you know, we have clients try to sneak powder rooms in places and wet bars, and it runs into a lot of trouble. They can only be 125 square feet, and there's no other uses allowed in there. Okay. Great. All right. Well, that is all the questions, unless any more get submitted here as I, I start to wrap things up. But uh, thank you, everybody, for submitting those and, and hope you uh, reach out to Jeffy and Mark in case you have any other follow-ups. Uh, and like I said, we'll be sure to give out their contact information. Um, but yeah, Jeffy, Mark, thank you so much. This this has been great. I uh, I really think this was beneficial for folks. And I'm glad we got to dive into the different areas of feasibility as, as rather than just a you know high level like yes or no, this is a good project. This is a bad project. There's a lot that goes into it. And and I think you guys have proved that uh, an expert is necessary to help you with those decisions for a lot of projects that Jumpstarters are looking to rehab. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, real quickly, I just want to let you know that our, our next Jumpstart event is taking place in a couple of weeks on December 20th, and it will be our Think Tank, which is hosted in person at, at our office. Um, Jeffy and Mark, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you there. But it's a it's basically a, a networking event with a, a town hall style presentation section. So we'll we'll you know allow folks to come up and ask questions and and discuss their their specific issue in real estate that they're facing. And experts in the audience uh, and on our panel will will be able to provide resources, answers, and then we'll have a networking with pizza and and soda at the end. So that's a your last little push to come. <laughs> but, uh, at our office, forty seven zero one Germantown Ave, uh, and and. And uh, it's on the first floor there in our event space starts at, at 7 p.m. But we'll open the doors up at 630 so you can come in and say hi to folks. And registration uh, is required. So please RSVP. It's at jumpstartgermantown.com slash events. Uh, and lastly, we are going to have the recording of this Jumpinar available on our website uh, at jumpstartgermantown.com slash library. And we'll also edit a audio only version of it, uh, which will be available on streaming services um, and yeah, I think that's all I got for housekeeping. Thanks again, Jeffy and Mark. I really appreciate you uh, spending the night with us and, and, uh, hope folks enjoyed the session. Thank, Thank you, you for very having much. us. Right. Thanks y'all. Have a good one. Right. Good night, everybody. Thank you. And that concludes my conversation with Jeffy Thomas and Mark Wallace from Core Design. We discussed project feasibility for real estate development and the various services that architecture and design professionals can provide new developers. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's Jumpinar series, which takes place on select Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. If you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.